What does Joe Biden, David Beckham, and an Appalachian comedian have in common? Episode 14 of the Booterverse. everybody, welcome back to episode 14 of the Booterverse. We are so glad that you're with us today, and it is going to be a bit of a humdinger. We have with us today Chris Hurst, an Appalachian comedian out of the hollers of eastern Kentucky, and it is going to be an interesting interview. I will tell you that right now. We also have Judy Scheinbaum with us, as always, to answer your questions, and we have Marsha Houlihan back with us from Mishawaka, Wisconsin. You can find this all today on the Booterverse. Today's episode of the Buddhaverse is brought to you by Linoleum. Linoleum, a flooring so cheap you can plaster over your racist uncle's big mouth. And now for news in my orbit. It was a quiet Oktoberfest like many before it at a Lutheran church in our nation's capital. But when Joe Biden and his family rolled up in a stretch limo, things took a turn for the worse. The vice president was waiting to purchase a Wiener Schnitzel sandwich when pointing to a woman in front of him in line, he apparently made an inappropriate comment to one of his Secret Service agents. According to the woman's boyfriend, Biden said that he'd like to Wiener her schnitzel, a claim Biden emphatically denies. The boyfriend threw a punch, and soon the entire Biden clan leapt into the fray. All three of the Biden children were, quote-unquote, laying people out, until one later hosen-clad participant cold-cocked Bo Biden, at which point the Delaware Attorney General fell to the ground and became the bottom of a very large dogpile of half-crazed Oktoberfest revelers. The Malay only broke up when Jill Biden, correction, Dr. Jill Biden, screamed, Do you know who I am? and began pulling people off her stepson. The bloodied and rumpled group limped back to the limo, which knocked over a stack of pumpkins and some hay bales as it sped off. According to the police report, alcohol and oompa music may have been factors in the incident, which is still under investigation. And now in the world of sports, the National Football League, otherwise known as the NFL, announced this week that its 2015 MVP, which I can only assume stands for Major Violation Perpetrated, award be given to the player who has beaten the fewest people in the privacy of their own homes. We're all for beating people to a bloody pulp, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said, before admitting that perhaps not enough emphasis had been placed on the fact that such pummeling should take place on the field and not off of it. He went on to say that the pregame pep talks can get intense and that the coaches' messages perhaps are being misinterpreted. The NFL has undertaken a voluntary internal review of its coaching policy and has decided to ban some common locker room language. The play known as the Scatter Two Bunch Right Zip Fire Texas will no longer be referred to in brief as the wife beater and the 90X7Y3Z2 Roger as the Shut It Boy. While this does fall short of an admission of complicity in the scandalous, violent events that have plagued professional football lately, the NFL sees the award as doing a lot to send the message that it won't tolerate certain actions from its players. Besides, Goodell said, the trophy is really awesome. And now in bovine news, now might be a good time to ask for less cowbell. After a rash of incidents involving wandering and unresponsive cows, Scientists in Zurich are now saying the famous bells worn by Swiss bovines might be making them deaf. 
agricultural researchers at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich studied more than 100 cows outfitted with standard 12-pound bells and monitored the effects on the animals. Shockingly, the bells can create noise levels up to 113 decibels, which is equivalent to a chainsaw and substantially exceeding the legal noise limit of 85 decibels. One recommendation the scientists made was that farmers could replace the bell with a microchip and the cattle could be located using a smartphone. But don't expect a cow finder app anytime soon. The Swiss Tourism Bureau is pushing back against the study saying that the banning of such bells would be a huge blow to Switzerland's image as a bunch of cheese-obsessed alpine yokels in funny little vests. And now in electronic news, is a state government auctioning off vibrators? You're not in Kansas anymore, or are you? The Sunflower State is so broke that to ease the state's fiscal woes, the government is resorting to selling off furry handcuffs and other bedroom implements. The sex toys were seized in a massive raid on five adult stores in four cities and netted thousands of items. State Democrats are furious over the fundraising scheme, criticizing Governor Sam Brownback for the quote-unquote way he has chosen to fill his massive hole in the state budget. For those interested in bidding on any of the items, the Kansas State House has rushed to squash rumors that pieces from Brownback's personal collection will be included in the auction. In technological news, on the heels of Apple's colossal embarrassment over the apparent bendability of the new iPhone 6 Plus, the technology corporation has signed David Beckham to endorse their new product. Beckham is being paid an undisclosed sum to appear in advertising that shows the soccer star bending the phone in a variety of settings and looking very manly while doing so. A source who wished to remain anonymous said that Apple's basic philosophy was that since there wasn't anything they could do about the crappy quality of the new phone, they could at least try to get people to see the bending as a desirable, hip, and sexy feature. Thus, Beckham who in one promotional video bends the phone suggestively while being followed down a busy London street by hordes of very interested women. As the campaign is obviously more appealing to men, a similar one starring Beckham's wife Victoria is being put together in which she will show female Apple fans the best way to bend their man's iPhone. And that's been news in my orbit. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Hairspray. Hairspray, a product so pungent it will keep your hair quaffing for days. Welcome back. No matter what time of day you're listening, you always have time for a segment we like to call Mornings with Marsha. Marsha Houlihan, you're on the Booterverse. Oh, hello, Emery. It's good to see you. Look at you, you cheeky little boy there. Don't you know? We just love you so much. Thanks for having us back. We're skippity-skyping here. That's how we're getting from Mishawaka, Wisconsin, to yours truly. And I just love, you know, I can see your face and everything, you bearded son of a gun. I tell you what. My husband, Walt, would just wear a beard all the time if I let him. But we get out the hedge trimmers right there, you know, and we'll just cut that thing down and trim his face. Sometimes, you know, we need one of those straight razors just to hack through it like a machete. I think that's what the Africans call it. I'm not real sure, because we don't have a lot of Africans in Wisconsin. But you know what? We love them just the same. We've got some from Zimbabwe and Mumbai and Dumbai. It's great. I tell you what. You know, and they're just brighten up the community like a bowl of rice there, you know. Marsha, I think rice is pretty plain. 
Oh, no, Emery, not where we're from. I tell you what, rice is a delicacy up here in Wisconsin. You know, it's funny because we eat a potato with every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and coffee. I tell you what, if you've not had a coffee potato, you seriously should try one. Those things are a delight. You just dunk and chip, dunk and chip, dunk and then you swallow. It's just a lovely routine. Marsha, I don't think I've ever had a potato in my coffee. Oh, Emery, I tell you what, you come down here to Wisconsin like we've been begging you for months, and we'll give you a potato and your coffee right away. We'll get you off the plane or the snow machine or there, and we'll just get you some highfalutin potato and some coffee. Well, thank you, Marsha. I really appreciate that. Oh, of course you do, Emery. I mean, we are known for our lovely hospitality up here in Wisconsin. You know, one time... That Joe Biden, I think I heard a news story about him from you a little earlier. I tell you what, that Joe Biden came here and he was just an absolute delight. You know, he just loved talking to the senior citizen ladies and, you know, some, some of the local barbers tried to cut his hair plugs there. And you know what? He just wouldn't let him. He was a good sport about it, though. And, and I tell you what, he, uh, he actually got on a moose there and he rode that thing uh, for a couple miles. I tell you what, that man is a trooper. What he won't do in the service of his country. It's a, it's a delight there, you know. Well, vice presidents have always been known for doing their part for president and country. Oh, that's right there. But you know, that's enough politics. I tell you what, if there's two things I don't like to talk about, it's moose and politics. So let's not mash those crazy taters together because we've got some other things to talk about. So obviously, it's in the middle of the fall here. And you know what that means? Winter has already arrived. We had our first snowflake a few weeks ago. And let me tell you what, the flurries were flurrier than always. I don't know if it's that El Nino thing or, or some other sort of weather pattern. But I tell you what there, Emery. You know, it's just a shame that, that we get winter so crazy. I, I tell you what, I, I, I think you know I, I'm a big fan of the sci-fi there and, and the fantasy books. Not the body ones, because, you know, this is Wisconsin. We're a good, clean, hearty folk there. But I tell you what, that uh, George R.R. R. Martin there, oh, he, he writes a heck of a story with those abominable snowmen and, and whatnot. One time, I saw Walt actually get up on a snow wall we had made. And I tell you what, he'd be a shoo-in for that program, so we need to get him on the air. Emery, I know you're in show business. Do you know George R.R.? I bet you do. Not yet. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Marsha. I don't know George R.R. R. Martin. I bet he'd come on your show there. You know, you're all big stars and as far as I'm concerned. And I just think the world of you, you little crazy guy there with your beard. I tell you what, we'll just get a little scarf on you and send you up here. You can plow the snow out of our seven feet snow drifts, okay? Well, Marsha, I'm not exactly keen on cleaning your snow. Oh, I tell you what, you don't have to clean it. It's already white there. All you have to do is shovel it out of the way. You'd be a show-in. Marsha, do you have any snowshoes for me? Oh, I tell you what, we sure do. You can use old Grandpa Jack's. He passed away a few years back of unknown factors. If you ask me, Grandpa Jack was hitting a sass a little hard and bumped his little noggin poo on the sidewalk when he was walking to the mailbox. But you know, we don't talk about such things. We just put them in a box, put them in the ground, and say our prayers at the Lutheran Church. Well, Marsha, thank you so much, and rest in peace, Grandpa Jack. That's been it for Mornings with Marsha. Today's episode of The Pooterverse is brought to you by Parking Meters. Parking Meters. If their slot was any bigger, you'd have to pay it more. Now for a segment we like to call The Last Lung with Judy. Judy Scheinbaum, welcome back to the show. 
Oh, Emery, it's great to be here. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. You are such a gem, and I love you. Mwah. Well, thank you, Judy. That's very nice of you to say. We are so glad that you are here. So why don't you go ahead and answer people's questions? Well, of course, no small talk when I'm my chop liver. Seriously, you don't take the time for the people you care about. You should be ashamed. But I still love you. Let's start. Our first question is from Catherine in Great Falls, Montana. She says, I got invited to a party in an orchard. What on earth do you wear to a party in an orchard? Oh, well, sweetheart, I've got one thing for you. A pumpkin-shaped moo-moo. I swear it's the fashion in Milan. I don't know where those lovely Italians get it, but I swear it will make you look as plump as a bright pumpkin. You will be special, and you will be the belle of the proverbial ball. You're gonna love it, I swear. Those vertical lines will make you look so svelte, and actually, you can take a, a burlap rope and tie it around your waist to cinch all those lovely lady parts together. It'll make you look ravishing. So, Judy Scheinbaum suggests pumpkin-shaped moo-moo. Go ahead. Love it. Live it. Our next question is from Nancy from Jackson, Mississippi. She says, sweetheart, Talk me into getting rid of my 1975 Monte Carlo. I feel like I should be embarrassed. Oh, sweetheart, don't be embarrassed by that. It is a sign of luxury, a sign of delightfulness, a sign of the upa that people have. You're going to look wonderful. I see you cruising down the street right now. You're a vision. You're a fashion love. Keep that Monte Carlo running. When I go to Europe, I always go to Monte Carlo. So why shouldn't you get to ride in one every day? Oh, this is nice. Our next question is from Laura. From Kankakani, Kankaki, Kang. She's from Illinois. She says, A hunky firefighter put out a trash fire at my building and now he's asking me out. He's 27 years younger than I am. Should I go? Sweetheart, if a man 27 years your youth is asking you out for anything, go. I swear. 27 years your youth. My dear, I've got moo-moos that big. I swear to God, I found a pack of Paul Malls in my suitcase from 1973. It was crazy. I tried to smoke them, and then Eliza just went all... Oh, Eliza's my daughter. Some people don't know that. She went crazy on me. I don't even know. I've never seen her so crazy and upset. I said, all right, dear, just keep them as a memento. Those are collector's items. I swear, unsmoked cigarettes in this house, those are a collector's item. Speaking of Paul Malls, that dovetails into our last question. This is from Corky in Montreal, Canada. Corky, is that a man or a woman? I don't even know. Seriously, I remember that one show, Life Goes On, with the inimitable Patti Lapone. I once saw Patti sing in a 1985 revival of one of Andrew Lloyd Webber's lovely sort of whatnots, and it was a vision. She was the wind beneath his wings, and they were flying like doves. Anyway, I, I digress. So, here's the question. Judy, Corky says, how long have you given up smoking for? Well, Corky, that's a very cute and complicated question. How long have you been an adult for? Who's to say? The range of the things that we know changes all the time. But I will tell you this. Quitting smoking is a daily struggle. And if I didn't sneak a palm oil at breakfast, I don't know what I would do. And you know what? That's it, my darlings. I love you. Have a beautiful day. Mwah! That's been it for the last one with Judy, and we'll be right back. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Winos. Winos, now you know where that extra pungent smell is coming from. Hey everybody, welcome back. We have a special guest with us today on the show. Comedian Chris Hurst is here, or as his friends like to call him, Mr. Mr., it's great to have you here on the show. Hey, nice to be here. Hell yeah, I'm pumped. 
I'm glad you're pumped. I'm pumped too. I'm excited to have you here. Now, Chris, you've got a bit of a deep accent, my friend. Where are you from? I'm from uh, Floyd County. It's a very small, uh, like, eastern Kentucky. I'm from a very small town of that county. Ah. Very, very rural area. Little coal town. Ooh, little coal town. Did you get coal in your stocking as a child? Uh, no, I should have a couple years or a few years. I, I'm, I was a good kid. I was lying. I was a good kid, but uh, no doubt about it. I mean, yeah. I'm looking at you now. Got the corduroys <laughs> on. Great yeah, kid. Yeah, um, I was a pretty decent child, you know. So, how does a a man from a coal town come to be a stand-up comedian? Uh, well, there's a like it's a different reality back home. Like people are so different. The culture's different. Like the way people talk, the way people act. Uh, so you find a lot of them things amusing when you find out other cultures. And so like when a few years ago, two or four years ago, I ran out of work, so I figured I'd move to Lexi for work and- uh, The big city. The big city, and what's so crazy about it, like back home, people talk like this is the biggest city ever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and Lexington's like a small, small city. And what kills me is like our city, like was like 15 minutes away from where our rural area was. Sure. The only thing it had was a Walmart and a court store. You well, know? well, I tell you what, you know, when you see old men sitting in rocking chairs outside of Walmart, you know you've arrived. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a very uh, very small town, but like uh, people are very nice. Like I don't, I ain't trying to talk about bad or anything. I love where I'm from, but I just had to get out of there. You know what I mean? I think differently and absolutely kind of different kind of outtake on the world and uh, I just uh, try to use my comedy as a way I put put out there what I see out there in the world. Sure and you have used your background and your past in your comedy and how's that like do do people respond to that do they understand where you're coming from with uh, your? They, they understand it because like um, if you're from a rural area and if you're not you know there's not many ethnic people or like gays or blacks or such sure so like in my comedy like I grew up and like but a lot of people's not that educated back home you know what I mean like sure it's not that they're not educated in a sense but like when it comes to People fear what they ha people fear what they don't know sure. in a sense. Well, and there, there's like, probably not a lot of formal education. No, <laughs> and like uh, so, like I'm for social equality and gay rights, black rights, and such. So I use that in my comedy, uh, taking up for them. So I've had you know black women come up to me, hug me after shows, such as gay men come up and hug me after show and shake my hand. Well, the listeners can't see, but Chris, you've got some pretty tight corduroys on right now, my <laughs> friend, and I'm sure those gentlemen like to see that while you're up on the stage. For uh, sure. Yeah, my door don't swing that way, but you know, <laughs> like hey, it's but you all know, right. you're giving them a little something. You know what I mean? Like it may not swing that way, but you maybe cracked it just a little bit. But, yeah, you know, but, just uh, to make everybody happy. I, yeah, I try to make my whole audience happy, I guess, for once. Which is great. Now, being from a small rural town, the the city audiences do they do they gravitate toward that social message that you're trying to share, or do they gravitate more toward the the uh, information or the, the the material you use from your past? Well, see, the, the a lot of the like a lot of the material I bring it out like dumbfounds. Sure. Like in a sense, right. where it's like kind of, I don't use big words, or I, I kind of make it like innocent in a sense. Right. Where, um, like I know, like it's like if you watch it as you're watching it, you're being um, information is being get to you, but in a very obscene way where it's funny. 
obscene way. Yes, yeah. of course. Some of your material is a bit risque, my friend. It's but wild it's and inappropriate. It is, in fact, and that's yeah. one of your that is one of your tag phrases: wild and inappropriate. Yeah, and I also got a, a comedy show that I've been trying to bring downtown that uh, it's called uh, the Wild and Inappropriate Comedy Show. So just trying to bring a different style of comedy because, like you know, we only got one comedy bar in Lexington. And uh, we have comedy shows at other bars and such, but like the one comedy bar we do have just likes clean comics. So I'm just trying to bring a new feel, like so. Right, and you're actually adding a bit of an edge to what would classically be considered redneck comedy or blue collar comedy. I don't do blue collar. Like I got like I lived in that place for 24 years. Sure. I mean, like I got stories that would make you laugh for days. You know what I mean about some of these people and. You know, I share, share some of these stories with people, and I try to educate them how this town and way it's like, you know, and what I try to, I, in another way, like, sometimes some of my comedy, I try to let people know, like, some of these people the way they are, because some of them just don't even know no better, you know, they just, like, never was taught, you know? Absolutely. So you don't necessarily consider yourself a blue-collar comic, is that no. right? I'm that's not a blue collar comic. That's interesting. Like I'm more of a culture comic. Interesting, because I think if people heard your accent, uh, you know, at first they oh would Lord, think, yeah, they you would know, blue like, collar hey, or red. Where's all the redneck jokes? You know, like. <laughs> and that's not what you're doing. No. So that's got to be a bit of a surprise to people once they start getting this social commentary from, you know, a small right, rural town. Right. You know, like, like you know, Jeff Foxworthy has his little, like, one-liners and all these guys, all these blue-collar comics has these certain things they say, like, sure. like well, uh, tell us some redneck words and tell us a joke. I'm like, all, that, like, all that's been done. You know, like, people know redneck people can't talk. Like, as soon as I talk, people are uh, just going to, like, automatically, people are just going to automatically assume that uh, you know, I'm I'm either not educated or and it's not their fault. You know what I mean? Like a lot of them, you know, like when it comes to like the bigotry and stuff back home and the racism and stuff, like it's it's easing up because cultural times. You know what I mean? But like sure. But like the older people, you know, I, I say racism dies with age. You know what I mean? That's a great saying, and you know we're a young country. You know, some countries have been around for thousands of years. You know, like we're just a teenager. You you betcha, we are just a teenager here in the good old U.S. of A. And it's interesting because there are so many perspectives that people bring to the comedy stage, and here you are really bridging the gap between a small small rural town and then high-minded ideas, yeah. ideas that you know Ph.D. academics discuss on a daily basis. Right. And you know, knowing you a little as I do, I I know you're. You're in tune with cultural movements and what's going on, and I think it's interesting that you've sort of, and I don't know if this is true, but it seems like you feel it's your mission to use the comedy stage as more than just telling a joke. Yes, and uh, like I feel like that is my mission in a sense of like, hey, like all rednecks ain't bad, you know, because Hey, when I walk in a room, 60% of people think I'm racist already, you know what I mean? Once I start talking, 100% think I'm racist. Like, hell, even the white people's going, I bet he hates Jews. I bet he hates Jews. Them dumb hillbillies. Them dumb hillbillies just come in here and ruin our breakfast. Well, quick question, have you ever celebrated Hanukkah? See, see, uh-huh, uh-huh. See, like, I love Jewish people. Hitler's a bad man, we know this. You know what I mean? Good point. 
Chris but, Hurst, Mr. has said it here, Hitler was a bad man. That, <laughs> sir, that's something yeah. I can get on board with. Yeah, but that's another thing, too, is just, like, I'm trying to bridge the gap, like, if when people hear, just, like, give these rural area people a chance, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes people talk to me, like, in a dumber light, and I'm like, I could hold a conversation, you can talk about anything. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I know them big words, and I, what I do is, like, sometimes I'll slip out of some of the... It's like where we're from, like, it's like it, like anywhere where anybody's from, like, they'll use a certain type of, like, easier language amongst themselves. Sure. You know? Absolutely. Now, do you use some of that language in your comedy? Uh, a little bit. Like I said, I like to keep my comedy not, not, like, I try to dumb it down somewhat for people can play off me, because, you know, my voice is, like, my big like my big thing you know sure yeah like not like, everybody has that voice yeah, my friend like it's hard to say like i'm for social equality and gay rights this voice you know what i mean like well, and you, hey well, i can't even say black people you know <laughs> well, i say african-american it sounds racist you know like, well and you use your ac accent as a comedy tool which i think is great because you're using what you have to bring people a new and different perspective but also to make them laugh which as a comedian is in fact your job yeah, and I feel like taking up for the, the blacks and gays and, you know, trying to talk about, like, and there's a lot of things, like, where I'm still in Kentucky I can't talk about, you know, like political issues and, uh, like, religion and, like, a lot of the stuff I've studied, like, a long time ago and, like, still study today that I can't talk about in my comedy until I get more out of here. Why do you think that that's the case? Uh, this is the end of the Bible Belt. Like, when it comes to Southern, like, this is, like, where if you go to downtown Lexington, there's a church every block, sometimes three mm. in one block. Hallelujah. Like, like, and it's, like, in the same way in my rural area, there's a church every half mile, you know what I mean? Mm. I always tell a joke every now and then that, like, don't get, <laughs> like, it gets, sometimes it gets laughed, sometimes it don't, according to the crowd. I was like, yeah, I always went to my mommy with questions. I was like, I was like, Mom. Where does it come from? Well, like, you know, she's like, Joseph Priest, baby, Joseph Priest. He tell you all the answers. He tell you all the answers. Jesus, Jesus. So, you know, I rode myself to Catholic school about six or seven. I said, you know, I went in there with questions. Sure. I said, I come out there with secrets. Uh-oh. <laughs> Ayo. That's a nice Ayo. joke. <laughs> that's a great joke. Yeah, I so went in there with like... questions. I left with secrets. That's great, man. Mister, do you think your population has been kept down? Uh... You're the, I mean, where like you come from. Yeah, like such. where you're from in eastern Kentucky. Do you feel like that population has been kept Well, down? you keep, it's just like, you keep the, you keep the hillbillies dumb, you keep the blacks dumb, you keep the Mexicans dumb, they'll work and do whatever, and they won't, you know what I mean, and they end up getting mad and killing everybody, killing each other. Or so are you saying, dead. you saying Ferguson is a, sort of an offshoot of a system that doesn't respect people? And no, that keeps them in their position? What I'm trying to say is, like, all right, basically, like, you can go back to culture just when we, when we like, it's like, okay, Indians will let you free, but we're going to put you in the desert where there's no food and water. Okay? But, I mean, pretty but sunsets. Like, the there sense, are pretty sunsets. I know it. And, like, back, like, we're getting better in culture now. Like, shit's changing, but, like, it's taking it time. Like, a lot of the rural areas are expanding because there's no more coal. There's no more work and there are no more jobs. It breaks my heart. Well, so yes, one good thing I want to thank my father about real quick was uh, Glenn Hurst. Go ahead and give him a shout out. He always told me, he said, I will never, I will never see you in a coal mine. He, he always told me. So that's one, like he's, 
that's one good thing like he always said to me was uh never be in coal mines and i took that like from my six-year-old up you know like he just always beat it my head never do that never do that and it just kept me away from all that and i think that kind of helped me like educate myself in a sense like i did other jobs and stuff but i it gave me more time to get educated because like i love these people and i'm trying to get a lot of these people to see i'm just like i know like this coal is disappearing you know what i mean and it's not gonna be around long and now you're just left with a bunch of hills to do all the teaching. You know what I mean? But and I no mean, there are, golf, there are golf courses. I mean, like, <laughs> Chris, I feel, Mr. I feel so bad from a small town sometimes, man. It bothers me. Mr. Where would I put my putting green? <laughs> but see, like, back a long time ago, we needed, like, like they don't really, like, the government don't really care about the, the poor anymore. In a sense, what I'm trying to say is not, not saying poor in a sense of, like, but a lot of Americans poor, even the more middle class is poor right now. You know what I'm saying? Like so, I'm just saying like back a long time ago, like these people we needed these people, but like it seems like the government don't need them as much now. Well, with they technology, they are they're not mining their they don't need them to mine their coal. They don't need like so so the stuff the government used to do to give people that do these mundane jobs, do the hard jobs, do the work do all these hard jobs around America to keep America moving, like they don't really care much for them anymore, it seems like. Well, it's, perhaps I might offer a different opinion, it is that our economy is changing, right? We've got great technology now, things, a lot of things are automated, and so the need for human capital, for people, has, has gone down. So it's not that there aren't jobs for these individuals to do, but they haven't correctly identified what skills they have and then started to to do that. For example, uh, I'm sure like I I'm sure that a lot of people would be great, you know, making jewelry or being artisans like leather workers, candle makers. I mean like things that people could buy literally on the internet. But here's the problem. A lot of people in those rural areas don't have access to the internet. So there are lots of skills and talents that they have. I'm sure many people in rural areas are mechanically minded or agriculturally minded. You know, people would love to have their know-how in cities to do urban gardening and urban farming, but matching these individuals was, with well, their skills. I was skills, a rural area, but I was still very culturalized since, like, I got my knowledge from the internet. Like, and other people probably didn't look up the same same things I did. And well, when smarter. there's NASCAR <laughs> around, I mean, why would they? <laughs> like, why would you look it up? Well, we got to go hunting. I'll tell you, well, look, let me tell you what. Get off Google. I'll tell you what, there's <laughs> some fishing in the creek right there, and we need to go down there and get that right now. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? But, like, uh, you know, there's some very, very good people back home, and I love them. It just kills me sometimes. Like, it, And what people are saying is, like, these rural areas, a lot of people stay is because, like, there's not, like in, in New York, there's 8 million people. You know what I mean? Like, sure. A lot of people. There's a lot From of From a lot of different places. A lot of different personalities you hit. You know what I mean? And like, you might have your mom and dad there, and that's it. Because they might have to move there for work. Right. So, and, and then your other immediate family, you never really got to see them much. Maybe once a year at Thanksgiving. So, if you moved away from your hometown, New York, somewhere else wouldn't be as hard on you. The sense of, like, I grew up in a holler. Where, uh, when I say holler, it's uh, a, a mountain and like there's just one road in between two mountains or maybe two roads and then it branches off. It's kind of like an ant, ant hill. Sure, as opposed like to ant. like holla, which is more of a like yeah, holla urban, back. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. urban thing. You know, right, I, I like to tell everybody I'm about more black than most black kids nowadays. Whoa, you know? whoa. 
Now I that's like, that's a, that's quite a statement, sir. That's quite a statement, but like I grew up on kid and playing Tupac. Well, know, so. I mean, who didn't? <laughs> well, and a quick you quick know? question about that. It's interesting because you feel so akin to not only the music but that community. Is it because you feel so disenfranchised with the broader system that we have in place here? Uh, well, not in a sense. Like, I can relate to about anybody. You know what I mean? Like, any, like I can have a conversation with anybody, but if, like, somebody's bigotry or racist or something, like, I try to end the conversation. Any more back home, because there are still some people that are. You know what I mean? But, like, any more the older we get, the kind of wiser we get, and hopefully it'll change. You know what I mean? So Now, do you want to move to New York? Is that where you'd like to be? I mean, I know you've done comedy there. You've done comedy elsewhere. Yeah, I made some connections in New York. I did really good in there. You know, I got to ask to do some pretty good places. Like, I did um, I did a bunch of mics, like, everywhere. Laughing Buddha and New York, New York and uh, Gotham Comedy Club. And I even got to be on uh, Greenwich Village. Uh, Greenwich Village? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to do a show, an actual show there with the top headliners of New York. Wow. So, I got to have five minutes in that. So that's kind of cool, and then I even got to ask to do a Caroline's like wow, Caroline's on a Saturday night for a premiere, uh, premiere young talent show. But I had to go home that Thursday. Oh no! Yeah, I was, I'm poor, so you know all my money was gone by Thursday, and I rode with somebody else. So well, one one day I'll have money, you know. Hey, ab- absolutely. <laughs> well, if Caroline's is asking you to come in for young talent, we are certainly happy that you are here on the show. Quick question before you go. Do you ever think about going back home? I love back home, but, like, it's just, it's not for me. You know what I mean? Like, I got a lot of things to do, and there's, the reason why I moved away from there was to do these things. You know what I mean? I, there's a whole world out there. And, like, all I've heard my whole life was, like, uh, like they, they taught me a lot of smart things back home when it's just living and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, working hard, good work ethic, you know, so... I want to take that work ethic that I've learned from this small town and take it out there and uh, just share what I got to tell to people, you know? Excellent. So, like, uh, like I feel like after my life maybe sets that, like, no, I'll never move back here. <laughs> I'm just a different person, you know, from them. Sure, but you'll always have it with you. Oh, I love it, you know what I mean? But, like, I just feel the way I'm moving with my life, like, like I want to go see these things. I just don't want to, I listened and heard about, like, I wish, hey, I wish I was 20-some-year-old again. I wish I was 20-some-year-old again. So I wish I'd have got out of here a long time. You know, I heard that my whole life, and, like, I seen everybody got stuck in the sense of they knew their aunts and uncles. They right. knew their cousins. And you didn't have 8 million people to be your friends. So you was around your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your mom and dad, and, like, a lot of times, them people become your best friends in the sense of there's not that many people there you can trust. And in know? the case of West Virginia, sometimes your lover. Your lover. Mm. <laughs> you know, well, you had to. I have to, I'm sorry. To there was a door again, a door. and I had I to walk through it. it. Yeah. You know, uh, like, he was like, I'm I felt bad about there. I felt bad about it as soon as I said it, and yet, here we are. It's all right. I get it. It's fine. But, like, I feel like hearing about my lease is up next year, so... I'm going to maybe go to New York for a few months, stick a tip in, and then... Uh, oh, just just a tip? I'm going to do it there for a couple months. Right. I think a couple of comedian buddies of mine is uh, moving to L.A., and they're set on it. They're moving to L.A., like two or three of them. And uh, I was, I was going to go with one of them, and I still might, and I probably will. But like, I, the way I've been, uh, people have been talking is like, uh, 
LA's pretty glamorous, you know what I mean? Uh, New York's, you can be a, like kind of gritty, dirty, you know what I mean? Sure. So like, LA I loves their pretty. LA loves their pretty people, my friend. That's what I'm trying to say. Is like I want to go to New York, and maybe get a little bit of name first. Sure. Before this gritty, wild, inappropriate, wild and inappropriate goes to LA. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I'm pretty pumped about it, though. I'm excited about this comedy thing and. Uh, this comedy oh. thing, it's not like it's not your lifestyle, sir. It is your lifestyle. Mr. I mean, you're on track to do great things, and we are so glad you're here. If you Thanks, had, man. Hey. I appreciate it. it. Well, yeah. you, know, you know what? When I see good people, I, I appreciate them, and you are definitely a good person. You and are I, too, brother. I appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. Are we... We're having a little love fest here. Just give us a moment. We're I think a we're going to need it. We're going to need a minute. I'm going to need a minute. Mm. Whew. It's all right. Come back for wow. Okay, here I we mean, are. Here we are. <laughs> all right, I'm good. If you, had, <laughs> if you had any advice for an aspiring comedian, somebody who has never been on stage before, or someone just starting out, what would you tell them? Find yourself. Mm, that's pretty broad, my friend. Can you can you hone that in? Can you be, be more? Be like, be you. Like in a sense of don't try to do somebody else's style comedy. Chris, if there was something you could, if you if you could plug anything, share anything, address the audience, the listening audience, and tell them anything, the stage is yours. Do you have anything you want to tell them? Anything you want to plug? Anything you want them to know? Can they reach you in a certain way? Is there? You have an email? Do you uh, have a website? Yeah, a Facebook page? Y'all can, y'all can get me on my Facebook page. Uh, my name's uh, Chris Hurst. Uh, that's my, uh, H U R S T, you know, I also go as Mr. And I got a Twitter account, like, uh, you can get it's called The One, they call Mr. Mm. And it's not, uh, you know, it's like the The number one. Yeah, but you don't have to put the number sign. Oh, all right. Just the one, they call Mr. It's at the one they call Mr., you know. Beautiful. And if you ever want to email me or hit me up, if you ever want to maybe try comedy, I maybe get you in there, or you need a question to ask me on my email it's uh mr chris hurst at gmail.com i like that you use the third person on that you referred to yourself as mr rather than you know myself i like that you're starting to refer to you to your character as a sort of a third person i i appreciate that oh yeah man uh i feel that uh like like mr like uh He's not really, it's, it's me, you know what I mean, to the sense, you know, sure. but like, like I said, when I get on stage, it's not really a character, but like, like I said, like I try to, like instead of getting emotional involved with this, right. like I just try to make it kind of fun and educate people yeah. and be like, well, there was a, a redneck that just took up for me and I'm black. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know, Chris. and there was a redneck hillbilly that just took up for me or just made a good joke and didn't offend me so mister would you I'm take not up about offending anybody you know mister would you take up for a city slicker like me i'll take up for you well there you have it chris hurst mister it is a pleasure to have you on the Booterverse, and we are so glad you stopped by my friend oh very glad to be here brother and uh you know uh it was very fun. I had a good time, by God. Well, I am glad you did. We will be right back, ladies and gentlemen, right after this. Here at the Booterverse, we'd like to send a special thanks to comedian Chris Hurst, a.k.a. Mr. Thank you to Courtney and Sonny and our production team for making all of this possible, and to Quadrants for composing our theme song. 
And if you haven't had enough of me here on the podcast, you can join me on social media at The Booter. Not only are we on Facebook and Twitter, but for those of you so sartorially inclined, I'm also on Pinterest. Why on Pinterest? Well, you know, men should be on Pinterest. I know interstellar travel is a bit difficult, but the Booterverse is only a click away. Mm-hmm.